to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host from the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Oh, yeah. With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, is Lee Younger. That was a very Kool-Aid man response right there, Thank Jed. You. That's Thank right. You. Jed, bursting through the fourth wall of the podcast for social relationship. <laughs> Guys, I have to admit something. And this Please. is like, I feel like... Over the years, over the over the decade plus, I've made fun of Jed enough for this that I have to admit that it's happened to me, which is um, in some video game exploits over the past couple of weeks, I've learned that I'm a very huge fan of crunchy Cheetos. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. I, I've, I've made fun of Jed for 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 delving into like Cheetos and Taco Bell and and Mountain Dew and all those things. And recently I was. I was on my son's uh, PlayStation 5 playing a little Jedi Survivor. Okay. And um, during a break from some work and grabbed a bag of Cheetos and realized this is very fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just as, you know, in certain quarters, they, you know, they like to pair, you know, a nice brie with a, (laughs) you know, an aged champagne. So also the PS5 pairs beautifully with a nice bag of Cheetos. (laughs) It exactly. really, it's like, a, <laughs> it's, like a, it's like, it's like, a, a, you know, like a, a, a you know, D- Romani Conti, like a, like a Bordeaux. Oh yeah. Yeah. With, with the, the exact right cracker or something. It's like, you it's got the, it. It's Jedi survivor and a, and a bag of crunchy Cheetos. That's right. That's right. You can, you can really get a sense of the terroir of the PS5. So it's, you know, it really brings ah. it out. You know, I listen to other podcasts where they, they, they'll they have a running joke about, you know, you can make a bingo card. And when we say, you know, whatever, whatever line or queue up this segment, you check your bingo card. That two minutes was a really good example of why that's impossible with this show. Because you could never make Crunchy Cheetos, Jedi Survivor, PS5, like maybe terroir, wine reference. Bordeaux. Like yeah. it just, it would be like a 64 uh, slot grid and it'd just get a little yeah. unwieldy. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Well, uh, uh, two things. First of all, I assume, I'm not into video games, but I assume Jedi Survivor is a licensed version of the game show Survivor, but featuring Star Wars characters. <laughs> and it's really boring because they're all Force-sensitive and can read each other's minds. It's just like, well, we know who they're going to vote for. <laughs> uh, if only, Matt. If only. Well, in that case, Paramount or whoever, that one's free. I I, I won't let you into the emotional uh, the, the emotional uh, cataclysm that I faced this week when I got far enough in the game for the for the first big betrayal to take me by surprise and break Uh-oh. my heart and and I had I had to text my fourteen year old son while he was at in high school in one of his ca- classes and and let him know of the betrayal that I faced and he texted me the letters F R F R which means for real for real. No. He's already beat the game, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, um, Betrayals does make it sound even more like Survivor, the game show. So, <laughs> yeah, that's just true. saying. That's true. Also, I like the idea of a teacher walking by your son's desk and seeing the phone, have a text message about the video game and be like, you can't just be texting your friends all the time, Jack. I mean, like, it's, it's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's my 44-year-old dad. No, He's- look... <laughs> I'm that's a nice cover and we do make exceptions for you texting your parents, but I clearly saw that that's about a star Wars video game. Yes, it is. And also this is my dad. (laughs) Two things can be true. He's a middle-aged white guy. And on his day off, he's choosing to eat Cheetos and play a star Wars video game. 
As God intended. I think my one question with the Jedi Survivor is I'm assuming that the whole soundtrack is the Destiny's Child song Survivor, but performed in the style of the uh, Tatooine bar. The cantina. The cantina. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's that playing Destiny's Child tracks just over and over again. Yeah, and you can't turn that's, it off. That's fantastic. You want to, but you just, can't. Just a blue elephant with a with a clarinet. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. A genre of music that George Lucas named something I can't say on this show, but uh, Google that for yourself. <laughs> it's like jazz, but different. It's the real name that he gave that genre of music. Okay. So that's a little Easter egg hunt for you, the listener. Um, but while we're on the topic of video games, we have... A video game emergency, believe it or not. Whoa! Topical. And that, that video game emergency is not the, uh, the taut emotional writing of a Jedi game emotionally devastatingly on his day off. That is, mm. That's not an emergency. That's what it's supposed to do. This, we've, talked, we've touched on the show before on some, some Christian-themed video games. Uh, some in the, in the vein of the Billy Graham Bible Blasters. And uh, so there have been a couple we've looked at where you basically play as Jesus kind of through biblical stories. We're still not exactly sure how that works. But this is a few, the game is a few years old, but it just crossed our uh, desk today. This is a, a new genre of video game to take this route. And this one is called Fight of Gods. Oh, is it like a is it like a 1v1 fighting game like a Street Fighter style? Fight of Gods is a fighting game by Taiwanese indie developer Digital Crafter consisting of a roster of figures pertaining to world religions and mythologies. The game was banned in Malaysia and Singapore due to religious content. <laughs> uh, it was released it's been released on Windows, Switch, PlayStation 4 and Arcade. Would you gentlemen be interested in hearing some of the playable characters? And how? We have Anubis, the uh the Egyptian god of death. Uh, Athena, uh, Buddha, Obviously. I guess the guy, uh, some of these, I don't know if this is for copyright reasons or for trying to not get banned in more countries reasons were changed. So Buddha was changed to Zen in the PS4 uh, version. Okay. Ah. Uh, we've got a, a run of some, uh, some of your Norse gods, Freya and Odin. Okay. Uh, Sif. And Sif. Yep. Zeus from, and Athena from, uh, from the Greek pantheon. Uh, Moses, uh, not a god, confusing a nope. little bit, but you know, not all these are, but uh, name change to wisdom in the PS4 version. Okay. And then you have what we might call a couple of big hitters. Uh, one is Jesus, yeah, a name yep. change to saint in the PS4 version. And uh, okay. I, I looked at some like clips of the trailers wherever on this. And so if you've played, you know, your Street Fighters, Mortal Kombat, whatever, uh, uh, what's the DC one? Injustice. Yeah. So a lot yeah. of times when they come in, the character will have like a little entrance animation. And apparently Jesus is, he's descends on the cross. Okay. And what? then bursts off it. Okay. But the, uh, the two sections stay attached to his wrist and he then uses them in the fight as gauntlets. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. Does he, does he have, does he have walk on music like in a WWE style? I assume so. I assume- that would be amazing. I assume it's like Handel's Messiah on a drop D guitar. <laughs> I was I was gonna say like a like a metal version of 
of all creatures of our God and King or something like that, or the, or the, the, you know, the wondrous cross or something. You could get really sacrilegious with the music choices. Like whenever yeah. Jesus loses it, you're like, oh man, I lost to Jesus. Is that oh sacred head now wounded? That is, that is on the nose. <laughs> but, but, but I love, the, I love the drop D element of that. Just like double bass drum. Like, yeah. And there, there's one more uh, playable character that I that I it rises to mention. So we've got you know uh, most of these are gods, old old kind of you know old pantheons: Norse, Egypt, Egyptian, Greek. You got Moses, not quite a god, but he seems to be the go-to in some of these things for a an Old Testament pick. Buddha, the Buddha, Jesus. Um, then there's Santa Claus. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So if you wanted to do your own actual war on Christmas, you could do an actual Jesus versus Santa Claus fight. <laughs> and I almost can't believe that some weirdo church hasn't done that and then like video captured it. Yeah. To yeah. use in this in the Christmas sermon. Okay, so what what would be the cookie monster metal version of a Christmas song that would be Santa Claus's walk on music in a one V one fighting game. I mean, I feel like, go ahead, Jed. I mean, I feel like Santa Claus is coming to town. would be pretty hard to beat, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was thinking Carol, the bells, you'd have to do yes. less to it. Like you basically bah, 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 just bah, bah, be able to bah, bah, use bah, bah, bah. the Mannheim steamroller version of Carol, the bells. Yeah. Yeah. But sinister <laughs> Santa Claus is coming to town. is pretty good. Well, you know, I mean, we could we could have a few because you gotta you gotta keep the interest level, right? Maybe you unlock new walk on music as you go. Nice. So it's you know, there's it's a lot of good options. Actually, for real, there is a metal band called August Burns Red that has a version of the Carol of the Bells that is awesome. So, we, have, we have interviewed the the lead singer of August Burns Red on this here show. Indeed, did not ask him about that because <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have had a question. Just so that's a thing you guys did. I just keep thinking of like, I just keep thinking of Santa's like finishing moves, like in the old, like Mortal Kombat, like arcade style thing. Like what's the, like what's the fatalities? Yeah. And, and the one liners, you know, like from like when the, uh, Matt, what was the, what was the dude's name? That was like the, like the Schwarzenegger character on, uh, on the Simpsons. Oh, Rainier Wolfcastle. Yeah. Yeah. Wolfcastle. So like Wolf, Wolfcastle had the greatest lines ever of like the, he comes out of the ice sculpture of the Venus de Milo with the two Uzis and says, ice to see you. And then just yeah. like mows everybody down, you know, yeah. like what would be Santa's like one liners when he's like performing a finishing move? Oh man. That's good. There's gotta be some, some play on sees you when you're sleeping, which is now, yeah. <laughs> which is now that's great. <laughs> I, what I'm thinking is if you were if I, I assume this still happens in fighting games, but when we were kids, it was Mortal Kombat was the big one, yeah. and you could there was you know floating around pre-internet, you had to go find a print magazine with the button combinations for like the wild fatalities. If you'd won, yeah, yeah. you could type yeah. a bunch of stuff, and you know Sub Zero turns someone into uh, ice and then shatters their leg off and stabs it through their heart. They got way, way more uh, broke That's as intense. they went, but. I'm picturing like you lose to Santa and then, you know, button combination and then just you get run over by a herd of reindeer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The, the antlers of the reindeer go through you like Braveheart style. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> so what would what would Moses's one liner be for a finishing move? It's like there's got to be some there's got to be something from the Torah that like coordinates with a finishing move. Okay, he has to have an explosive so that he can use the line "Let my people blow," <laughs> and then the then the opponent explodes. I like that. Yeah, thank you. That's thank fantastic. You. I well, yeah, he throws that. a burning bush at them. Oh my god! That's yes! it. Yes, <laughs> the incendiary shrub. Yeah, there's that one. There's obviously the staff becomes a snake and eats you. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, f- I found a- another uh, article that has some more um, some more information. Uh, speaking of Moses, because you know, not only do you have the characters in your fighting games, um, a big aspect of them previously has been you could choose, you know, the arena. Okay. Yeah. So each character yeah, right. would like have their own, or, you know, and the moral. Like Street Fighter, it was the pier where there was the the car that you could throw the guy onto, yeah, or yeah, you know, yeah. Bison's Lair, or whatever. Um, among the available ones in uh, God Fight here are uh, the Garden of Eden and the Red Sea. Wow! <laughs> like with the Red. waters parted, I guess you you fight in the midst of the Red Sea. And I think yeah, if you, if Moses wins in the Red Sea, the the final animation right has to be him like. Pulling the staff down and you being engulfed by the waves. Yeah, right. that's pretty good. Yeah. I'm I'm so, here for all this, man. I'm not even gonna is, lie. Is is Santa do you have like a North Pole fight? Is that the deal there? Or is there like one is there like a really close quarters fight in a chimney? Oh. Well yeah, you on a rooftop and then if he beats you, he tosses your Shoves carcass you. Yeah. down the chimney. Yeah, that's it. You better not cry. And then he just shoves <laughs> you down. Yeah, that's it. Apparently, I'm looking at the, the ad copy for a couple of these. And something we've always, always appreciated on this show is when people don't go halfway. Yeah. Like if, you got an, if you got an idea, just go ahead and lean into it. Um, the press release for Fight of the Gods is something else. Uh writes Eurogamer.net, which I assume is a reputable journalistic publication. Sure, it's uh, basically the Wall Street Journal of gaming. The voiceover begins enthusiastically, Jesus and Buddha punch the holy bleep out of each other in fight of the gods. Wait for it. Wow. Prepare for immortal combat. Oh. <laughs> oh. That's a deep cringe from Jed yeah. and Lee right there. That yeah. is... That is a Dang. lot of you leaned into the pun and you let it happen. So there's <laughs> there is that. Well, it's it's good to know that there are guys our age writing copy for things. Just it just really bringing is. out dad jokes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's the occasional reference I'll read online in a review or a tweet or something and be like, I feel like with a gun to my head, I could identify this person's age within like a two and a half year window. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think we learned a lot. I know I did, and I, I certainly won't be downloading the Switch version <laughs> later tonight. I don't even know why someone suggested that I sure. would. Be. If you're, if if you are so interested, uh, it is available currently, apparently on Switch and Steam. Yeah. It is. Um, the Switch version is not well reviewed. <laughs> like, wow. strongly not well reviewed. I, I imagine the, the negative reviews on this on any, any platform is a potent combination of 
I'm offended that this exists or, and I think this might be more on a steam necessarily than a switch of like, I love the idea, but the graphics really let me down, which is by the way, what my 14 year old son says, whenever we watch an old movie, he's like, dude, the graphics. Casablanca. Exactly. Dude. We're like, we're watching watching the Godfather and he's like, man, this is, this is really cool. But the graphics, man, the graphics, (laughs) I'm like, it's not graphics. It's film. They're squibs. They really shot that car. That's not a graphic. <laughs> yes, that I think that would be one of the most interesting uh, internet properties to go through and read the negative reviews of. Also, and I'm just putting this out there for a certain type of player, it feels like Nietzsche should be like an unlockable character. Yeah. Wow. In a God is Dead the kind Superman. of way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe the flying spaghetti monster is like a boss that you have to defeat. Yeah, have the have the Reddit expansion pack. <laughs> wow. As you can tell, dear listener, we could do a lot more time on this particular uh yeah. this particular bend, but the the big boss is just uh Tom Hanks for certain conspiracy theory people. <laughs> <laughs> and if you get that one, I'm sorry you've had to go to those Thanksgiving dinners, but oh. that's right. We'll all make it through oh. together. You deserve whatever video game helps you. That's right. Oh yeah, I'm I'm now envisioning someone who doesn't who is the only one in their extended family who isn't like a homeschool person. Just like, oh no, don't worry, I found a religious video game to get all the nieces and nephews this year. They're going to love it. It's a video game with Jesus in it and Moses. <laughs> Not saying you should. Just saying if you do that, let us know how it goes. And you defeat Tom Hanks and Hillary Clinton. (laughs) All right. With that, we are going to impose some self-discipline and move on. Okay. A rare moment on this show. We're going to move on to your five questions. If you have a question for us, handle us all the way to the end. I guess ways you can touch this. Or you can scroll down to the episode description. Click the links you find there. First question comes in and says, I feel like I hear a lot of married people talk about how marriage is, quote, so hard in a way that is almost cliche. How do I know if a relationship is hard because relationships are hard? Or because it is a bad fit? I think this is an excellent question. I know um, when, particularly when you grow up in a Christian environment or you hear a lot of Christians talk about uh, marriage, definitely one of the things that comes up a whole lot if you're younger is it's just so hard. And, uh, you know, valid. It is, it is a complicated thing. But uh, I think our question asker points out here, this may be getting a little more play than other aspects, like it is good or such things, which can be, a little skewed. So uh, Lee, where'd we start off here? Yeah, I think it's a really cool question. It's a a sharp question because certainly, um, you know, I've said this on this show before, but one of the things, one of the things that is offensive to me is when people look at, for instance, my marriage with Christy and say, well, you two are so lucky you found each other. And the idea in some Christian circles, and certainly in that, in that kind of comment is, well, you guys just found each other and you were the perfect fit and everything was amazing once you found each other. You just you just got together and that was it. It's like if you built your house with your own hands and someone walked by and was like, wow, you're really lucky you walked by and that house was here. That's exactly it, dude. That's That's a perfect analogy. And what Christy and I always say when that sort of thing comes at us is, no, we built this. Exactly as you're saying, we made this. We... We have been together for 22 years. We have worked hard at figuring out the 
you know, smoothing out the rough spots and moving toward each other. And, and that's the, the key thing to understand is that a marriage is a partnership between two people who have different personalities, different uh, backgrounds, origins, um, different um, gift sets, different vibes, and those people deciding, I, we want a life together, and we're going to do what it takes to move toward each other and work together. That includes hard work. There's no getting around that. There's going to be rough spots in that. There's going to be difficult conversations. But as Matt's saying, there's a whole lot more good than bad. And even the bad is learning how to move toward, toward somebody else. Um, learning how to serve someone. Learning how to, in humility, um, receive critique and just grow. All of those things. Um, I think the place that we get to when it's unhealthy and the place where we can kind of look at and say, like, I, I think this is bordering on something that's not working is when criticism overwhelms um, teamwork. We, we, what we want to move towards is a team of two people who, who are building something better together than they could have been on their own. That's what we're looking for is the two of us together create a, a a more fruitful and fun and amazing life and existence than the two of us alone could have made. And when we get into a situation where there's more drama than there is enjoyment, when there's more criticism than there is encouragement, um, when there's just a constant back and forth of like uh, just discouragement to offer, then, then we're looking at probably something that's a bad fit. Um, you're always going to have to grow when you build a life with other people in it, whether that's on a team of people that you're, uh, working with employed with, or, you know, you're working for or anything like that, or whether it's a marriage or whether that's with your kids or whether that's with a, a ministry team or anything like that, there's going to be moments where you have to make a change because of the people that you're working with. That's unavoidable. The question is, if it's a good fit, Am I receiving more encouragement and build up and are we moving towards something good as we move toward each other towards each other or are we constantly like constantly having criticism and um and contempt because if you have criticism and contempt then you're probably in an unhealthy environment and it's probably not a a, a good fit um whereas Moving towards each other is going to lead to teamwork. It's going to lead to growth. All of those things are telling you the difficulty is moving in a positive direction. There's a difference there, and it may sound subtle as I'm describing it, but I can tell you this, from the inside living it, that is not a subtle difference. That is a major difference. When I am moving towards my wife and we are in a good fit and I'm growing and learning and changing... I'm growing and learning and changing for the better. When I'm in a toxic environment where it's just discouragement and it's just criticism, that is, that's not a subtle difference. That is something that's obvious. That's something that feels very, very different than growing towards a change that's positive. Absolutely right. I think it's a fantastic place to start that off. And Jed, where do we take it from there? That's great stuff, man. I really agree. And 
Uh, let's go all the way back to the beginning for a second. One thing that uh, is worth noting, right? So you said in your question, I feel like I hear a lot of married people talk about how marriage is so hard in a way that is almost cliche. Let's touch on that for a second. So in all kinds of experiences, hobbies, fields of endeavor, whatever, people feel like there's a way they're supposed to talk about whatever that is. Um, and so oftentimes the way that people comment on things in their lives is kind of performative in that sense. Like it's not mm. necessarily a real reflection of how they feel or their experience. It's more, I have been socially conditioned to think this is the way I'm supposed to talk about this. Uh, so an example right, is there's a lot of hobbies where you can tell someone's a connoisseur because they hate everything, right? Like car guys think that all cars are stupid. Um, <laughs> and you know, I mean, like a lot of Star Wars fans think all Star Wars movies are are awful, right? And and like that kind of can't possibly be true because you keep you keep going to these movies. You you appear to like them. You're certainly spending money on them, but like you you've been socially conditioned to think that the the way you're supposed to talk about this is to find things that you don't like and that you're complaining about. And again, that happens in a lot of places, but particularly with Christians with marriage, it happens a lot. Like this idea of like, you know, marriage is good, but it's so hard. Like that's a script that a lot of people feel like they're supposed to repeat. Um, and so there's a lot of just unreflective commentary that, again, isn't necessarily much of a correlation with like what they actually think is just what they've been trained they're supposed to say. So I, I think it's worth keeping that in mind because uh, that that is definitely a factor that's going on. The next thing, and this is really just a variation on the great advice that, that Lee has already given you, is to note that there's a ton of things in life that have the following dynamic. I'm going to invest more, and I'm going to hopefully receive more out of it, right? So if you think about, like, you know, maybe you have a hobby. You like to make candles. It's just a thing that you like to do. And at a certain point, you're like, I wonder if I could go deeper with that. Could I, like, set up an Etsy shop? And like make candles and then sell a few and maybe that could help to, you know, pay for some of the supplies that I use. And that could be kind of a, a neat thing. Well, it's a perfect example of you're, you're going deeper. You're going to invest more into your into your candle making and you're hoping that on the other side of that investment, you will get more back out of this. Maybe a few people want to buy your candles, which is cool. Like, dude, there are most of life works that way where I'm going to go a little bit deeper. I'm going to invest more. Hopefully more comes back out of that. Maybe you're selling a few candles a month. You're like, what if I could sell a hundred candles a month? You're investing more. Maybe I've got to invest in promotion, et cetera, right? Marriage is kind of a relational version of that same thing. You have built a relationship with this other person, and then you've built a deeper relationship, and then you've built a committed relationship, and then you've built something where really your lives are pretty interwoven. And at a certain point, you're like, what if we went even deeper still? What if we, what if we did a, a deeper dive and a bigger commitment of resources and investment hoping that this will result in something even better and even more substantial and, and an even bigger return on the investment that both of us are making. It's totally normal. But here's part of why I bring that up and why it's worth bearing that in mind. Anything that you're investing in, it is appropriate and healthy to regularly look and say, is there a good match between what I'm investing and what I'm receiving? Like if you launch your candle business and you're spending $10,000 a month on it and you're selling one candle, there's a mismatch there. Um, that doesn't mean it's morally bad to make candles. It doesn't mean that you're bad, it does, but, but there is a mismatch. Like that's probably 
unless you're a billionaire and you just really like it, that's probably not the, the ratio you're looking for. Marriage is the same thing, man. Any relationship is the same thing. You're putting into it. You're putting time and attention and affection and, and energy and effort and money and exclusivity with the hope that you're getting something back out of it. The things that you're getting back out of it that you're looking for, they're kind of up to you. That could be companionship. It could be intimacy. It could be trust. It could be teamwork. It could be a living situation. But you should have a sense of the things that you're looking to get back out of it. And again, it's totally healthy in any relationship to regularly be looking at what you're putting in versus what kind of good stuff it's creating on the other side of it. As I'm describing these things, you might think, well, Jed, are you describing a transactional relationship? And the answer is not really. I'm just describing the way that all of life works. Mm. All of life is built off of sowing seeds and later hoping there will be a harvest. Um, which is uh, a metaphor that I've chosen at random and not at all because it's in the Bible. Um, that's that's just the way that, that all of life works, and it, and it is the way that, that marriage works. I want to offer one more thing to look at, and it goes right along with the stuff that, that Lee is saying. People will talk about how marriage is really, really hard, and they will talk about how uh, – which it can be – and they'll talk about sometimes like, we're having marriage problems, which is an interesting code word that it's never clear quite what that means. I want to propose to you – Two things. The first is there are 8 billion people on this planet. Um, all of them are unique, which means that every marriage by definition is unique because it is composed of two unique people. So there's not one size fits all advice that works terribly well. But I think the following is a good metric for evaluation, and, and it is the jerk test. When things are going wrong, are one or both of the people involved being a jerk? Right. Like if this was a casual social situation and someone did whatever the thing is, would it be reasonable to look at them and be like, wow, that person's really being a jerk? Mm. Um, are we treating each other with basic respect, with basic consideration, with basic dignity? Um, if we're not doing those things, um, we definitely have a problem. That doesn't mean it needs to be the end of the marriage. But like there is stuff if we're treating the person that we're trying to share our life with worse than we would treat a casual acquaintance. That is a good moment to pull up and say things need to change. And I raise it because that happens a lot. There yeah. are a lot of people in committed relationships. Yep. Sometimes they're marriages. Sometimes they're, they're just committed relationships. But where they are not showing a level of respect and consideration to their partner that they would show to um, a colleague at work that they might meet for coffee. Um, and I think that that's a really, really good moment to say. And we don't even have to be. We don't have to condemn it exactly, but to take a very curious view of why is that? What is going on that we are treating each other in a way that is worse than the way that we would treat someone in just a, a casual acquaintanceship? Um, I think if we if we kind of pull together all the good stuff that you've heard, I think it's going to give us some good coordinates on figuring out what does and doesn't make sense. That's fantastic stuff from both of these guys. Um, I, I will add on here at the end just ever having – experienced a lot of, um, you know, Christian people talking about stuff over the years uh, from that end, you know, uh, Jed makes a very good point about there kind of being a script about these things. I think it's also worth looking at anytime somebody says something from a stage or from a yeah. screen, it's not that it, they're lying or being dishonest. That is being presented in a heightened way. It just yeah. is like, that is, that is the point of that communication is something other than just telling you this thing. Because they're on a stage or on a screen, they're 
they're getting paid or they are trying to make a larger point and a lot of marriage stuff gets worked in that way. Um, the other thing is to look at if you're getting a consistent message from a group of people, are there a lot of similarities in that group of people? So, for example, very common in, in Christian circles, did these people get married when they were very young? Because how much of you know, marriage is really hard, which, again, we're all married. It's, 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 a, it's a difficult thing. It's a complicated relationship. But you know what else is hard? Learning to live with another human being when you're 20 and you've never done that before. Yeah. Yep. That is very hard. Being broke and being married is very difficult. These are things that are not necessarily about marriage. They happen to come into the marriages of a lot of people who are talking about marriage in Christian contexts. Again, doesn't make them wrong. Doesn't make that bad advice, but you are getting a very specific perspective. Um, so it's, it's, it's always worth keeping in mind, but as you guys point out, <laughs> I think there's also a thing generationally I've noticed. And I think this is starting to reverse a little bit, but I think for people who are maybe a little bit older than us and their 50s, 60s, people will be uh, head pastors and writing Christian books and stuff. Now they were kind of sold that marriage was easy or just something you had to do. So just go ahead and get married. You're, you're 20. What are you beating around the bush? Go ahead and, you know, yeah. You're 22 and you're not married yet. You know, you're going to your Bible college where right? go go ahead and get married. Um, so there's a little bit of like, oh, well, that was very more difficult than people thought it would be. I don't want to give someone a skewed vi- version of this like the way I did. So maybe we overcorrect the steer a little bit and lean on uh how hard how hard it is. And also no one gives a sermon or writes a book about the time that uh, their marriage was very good because things were easy. So again, there's a lot of uh, skewed perspectives coming here, but uh, all of that is state. Maybe there are some things we should take with a grain of salt as we apply the very good advice that these guys just gave you. Okay. We're on to our second question here. It comes in and says, how do I strike a balance of showing someone the respect I should while being very clear that I am not going to follow their advice? A, a great question. Um, there's a lot of, you know, Speaking of Christian circles, a lot of get thrown around. If there, there are people you should respect, and it does say that in the Bible of parents, and you should respect teachers, and you should probably respect your pastor, and you know pe- people who have a have, want to help and have a good heart and whatnot. But uh, sometimes you also should not do the stupid thing they're telling you to do. Um, so uh, I think it is a very good question of how do we balance that out. And Lee, where do we start off here? This is such an interesting question. I, I love the folks that right into us and, and the the things they come up with. It's so cool. This is a sharp question. It's an interesting question. And it sounds like a question that's come with some experience. Um, I I think this is, some of this is going to come down to a conversational style. Um, and it's one of these deals where, um, you find this out as you grow older. Um, but there are certain relationships that you find yourself in where you realize with experience I need to prepare to hang out with them. It's a weird deal, but you realize like if I'm if I know I'm going to run into so and so, I need to think about what I want to share and what I don't want to share. Um that's that's a very bizarre thing to think, but the older you get, I promise you're going to experience some of that. So, um here's here's a, a just a true fact of life. Older people think they're everybody's teacher. They think they're everybody's coach. They, they, they think that everybody wants their wisdom. Like, it's just, uh, that's, I'm not, I'm literally, I'm not trying to be ageist. I'm just trying to tell you like, and I'm sure I'm guilty of it too, with young people in my life. 
um, because I'm getting older now, but like older people think that when it's their turn to talk, that it's also their turn to teach simultaneously. Um, so it, it will behoove you to realize there are certain relationships in your life. I need to prepare to hang out with this person. Let me give you a really great shortcut for how to hang out with people in your life who always want to give you advice, but whose advice you don't want to get. Um, ask them about their stuff. That's just the, that's the simplest, cleanest line I can give you. The one true fact about human beings that is unchanging throughout any age, any season, any type of person or personality is people think it's great to talk about themselves. If you have a person in your life who uh, they think it's great to give you advice and you realize I don't want their advice and I, um, their, their advice triggers me or it, it sets me on the wrong foot or that's not the relationship I want with this person, but they always seem to do that. Then um, I'm telling you, change your conversational style to ask them about themselves, ask them about their stuff, the things that they're involved in, the things that they're interested in. And, and a thing that is true that a, a lot of folks don't understand. And, and I say this to a lot of people who are just like conversationally generous and who are just relationally generous. You don't have to give more information than is required about yourself. So, let me give a small example of this. Uh, somebody says to you, are you going to the game on Friday night? You can just say, no. You don't have to say, no, because, well, I'm going to a thing on Saturday and I think I need to make some food. And so um, I feel like I better get ahead on that deal or whatever. You don't actually have to give any of that information. Somebody says, are you going to the game on Friday? You can just say, no. That's it. Um, and what that does is, it, it, again, this is just a communication style deal. You are just kind of cutting the conversation, that part of the conversation off right there. That's not a rude thing to say. You answered the question. I'm not going to the game on Friday. Um, you don't have to give more information than is warranted to you, uh, warranted to you from a question. Um, you don't have to open yourself up to further critique or further questions. When all else fails, go back to the second thing that I was saying, which is basically all people love talking about themselves. Ask them a question about themselves. Let them run like the tortoise and the hare. Just let let the hare run, like let let the rabbit run, talking about themselves. And then you don't just style-wise – you don't put yourself in a position to open yourself up to all this advice and stuff like that. And, and if you can dig it, that's a respectful way to treat someone, to ask them about themselves and to let them talk about themselves. That's, I guarantee you, in most cases, they're, themselves is the subject they're most interested in. So it's a respectful way to deal with somebody whose advice you don't want. Um, don't open yourself up by giving more information than is warranted from a question. And... Just alter your conversational style. Realize that there are certain relationships in your life that you need to get ready for a conversation with. When they call you, you need to be prepared. And in certain folks, you just need to ask them about themselves and let them talk. And then when the conversation's over, the conversation's over. And you don't have to be open to all their advice.
Absolutely right. Fantastic stuff. A great place to start that off. Chad, where would we take it from there? It's great stuff. So the way the question is is phrased, I, I feel like it could mean a few different things, right? Like, do you mean, you know, and often like in a church context, do you mean that you know someone and you do want to be respectful, but they they regularly offer advice and you you kind of want to be clear, hey, I, I do respect you, but like, I don't, I, I'm not really looking for advice. I'm not oh, going to do that. Please don't ask me again. Exactly right. Or, uh, and this comes up in, in kind of uh, professional environments all the time. Do you mean like, there's a person I need to have asked about this project. I don't intend to follow what they are saying, but it is politically important for me to have asked them about it. And how do I navigate that? I feel like this could cut either way. So, um, Lee gave you really, really great stuff on the, um, the person, you know, at church who's giving you unasked for advice. I will now cover in case it's useful. The, you need to, you need to have been seen to have asked for advice on something even though you are definitely not going to follow it, because that that does come up in professional environments. So here is your best case on that. Um, You have been told that Jenkins is the former department head and really needs to have weighed in on this project before it can proceed and um, needs to feel heard. Uh, Again, in certain kinds of work, this comes up all the time. Here's how you do that. Ask them for their advice. Take notes. Everybody loves it when you take notes when they're talking. So take notes. (laughs) Ask them for additional resources for further investigation. In other words, key in on something that they have described um, and say, you know, that that really feels like it cuts to the heart of the matter. Is there a book or a journal article or a website or a YouTube series that you would recommend that goes deeper on that? So ask for resources for further investigation. Ask if you can contact them with follow-up questions. Say, you know, this has really been great. I want to want to take this. I want to cook on it. I, I will doubtlessly have kind of further questions. Would it be okay if I followed up with you on all of this? And then, critically, thank them profusely for their guidance. Say, hey, I so appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. I so appreciate you breaking all this down for me. Um, you know, I know you've got a, a real expertise in this field, and, and it, it's really very kind of you to do that. And then do whatever you want. If you if you do those things um, in 99 out of 100 situations uh, where you need to have been seen to have asked for advice, everyone will be satisfied with the following things. It's also worth noting, this is counterintuitive, but it's very true in my experience. The more expertise that a person actually has in a given field the less personally they will take it if you don't follow their advice. And that's actually an interesting barometer to use in um, just in life and when you're trying to figure out who who knows their stuff and, and who doesn't. The following is true for all three of us on this podcast. We're awfully fortunate to have a, a wide range of friends who have a wide range of expertises. And the ones who really, really, really know their stuff would be happy to talk. They don't care if you follow their advice or not. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the, the more that, um, not, this is not always true, but it's often true. The more that people are really invested in whether or not you follow their specific advice, the more that there's an insecurity element there, the more likely it is that they're not quite as much of an expert as, um, as they are presenting themselves to be just, 
just a little something to to cook on. Mm -hmm. And then here's one final thought in case it's useful. Again, like at, at church or whatever, you know, just in your normal life, like people don't get to give you unsolicited advice and, you know, you Lee's giving you great guidance on, on how to deal with that. If there are situations where you need to be seen to have asked for advice, which again, those do come up. Um, and there's going to be a follow-up question of what did you do? And, and, um, you know, you're going to have to kind of acknowledge that you didn't do the thing they said you should do and whatnot. So how do you, how do you deal with that? The good news is there's a script. Um, that you can follow and scripts are extremely useful things. Uh, when you're, when you're not sure how to handle a, a delicate, uh, situation, uh, look for a script because they're very, very useful. Here's the script that I would suggest where you, you were told you needed to talk to Jenkins about this proposal and, uh, let Jenkins weigh in. Um, we're not going to follow anything Jenkins says, but he needs to have weighed in. And then lo and behold, three weeks later, Jenkins wants to follow up of, you know, did you did you follow my advice and did you do widget A instead of widget B? And and what does it do? The script in that case is to say, oh, Mr. Jenkins, thank you again for taking the time. So kind of you. Really, really helpful. And it it massively informed uh, the whole decision making process, uh, really helped us to land on something that the team felt good about and where we felt confident that we had really looked at all the angles. Um, you did recommend uh, widget A and gave a lot of great reasons for that. When we crunched uh, some of the numbers and looked at some additional variables, ultimately um, uh, widget B was was the option that we needed to go with for this particular project. But again, you gave a ton of context that that enabled a decision that everybody felt confident and good about, and we're really, really grateful for that. That is the best case answer to that inquiry. And most of the time, people who are asking follow-up questions they shouldn't ask will be satisfied with that. You can also know that if they're like, well, how dare you? I wasted my time. That's on them, not you. Um, one of the beautiful things about scripts is it gives people an easy way out. You can never force a person to take the easy way out, but you can offer it to them. And that's a good way to do that. Great stuff from all that. And one Important piece of advice we want to we want to focus on. If anyone ever starts reacting to you telling them to take advice, like a grizzled eighteen nineties prospector, you should yeah. you should go ahead and if they dag nab it and consarn it and whatnot, you should you can go ahead and feel free to disengage at that point. It sounds like sounds like Jenkins was panning for gold for sure. <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. That's his journey, and that's we we celebrate that. But you don't have to join him on that. A uh, great stuff from both these guys. I will I will uh, bridge these points a little bit in that. You, there's definitely a script also of the person at church who keeps telling you you should invest in whatever or read this book or date this person or whatever. And there's basically a version of what Jed said. If you know, it's really, I'm going to pray about that. I'm really going to take that on board. And I think it's very, yeah. Here's the thing with people, if they're coming up from a place of ego, there's no such thing as you laying it on so thick, they realize you're being sarcastic. So that's yep. just a fun game you can play with yourself. I'm so thankful to have you know older older uh, brothers and sisters, Lord like yourself, to give me such such wise counsel, and I'm I'm really gonna take that advice. Then just go do whatever you want. Yep. <clears throat> and here's the fun thing, and this is a bit of an Uno reverse card on church people. Um, if they say, "Well, but she didn't take the job or ask them out or whatever," you say, "Oh, well, I really prayed about it, and I felt the Lord leading me in another way." Yeah. You know, think, think about how many times they would like to use that on you, and now you get to uh, you get to use that on them, and that's just just fun little thing for you. You shouldn't do this, but if you pause a beat and then just scream at them, how's it taste? That would be amazing. You shouldn't do that, but you could. Sure. 
I'm getting a word from the Lord, and that that word is, how's it taste? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's great. Well, with that said, and who knows how, that's a very useful piece of advice in a number of uh, arenas. So uh, with that, we'll move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, so in Luke 14, the parable of the banquet, I feel like I mostly hear people talk about the end where the poor get invited, which is great, obviously. But who are the friends who make the excuses? What is up with that part of the story? Uh, very cool. I really like questions like this where there is there's speaking of a script and nothing being wrong with the script. If if you've heard someone preach about Luke 14, this is, they probably did follow that script of getting to the end and oh, but we are the 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 poor who, souls who do not deserve a seat at the table, but we get it, which is great. But there is a whole middle part of that story that is mm. probably in there uh, to say something, but who, who can say what? So Lee, where do we start off here? Well, I, I think the, uh, the 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 primary thing that's going on here, as far as uh, the scripture itself, is that uh, we we can go all the way back to uh, in in the Gospel of John when John talks about Jesus coming into the world, and he said um, he came to that which was his own, and his own received him not. Um, in other words, there were people that should have been really, really fired up about this Jesus thing, and they just had problems with him. Um, they, they had their hangups and they had their reasons and they just could not get on board with the, the heart of God and the person of Jesus. Um, that's the, that's the original, um, uh, kind of pinpoint thing of what's going on here is Jesus is saying to his own people, I have come here to literally fulfill every promise that's ever been given to our people, and you do not want it because you've got problems with me. It's not what you expected. It's, it's, got, some, it's got some edges or some, some directions that, that you're not down with. Um, and the unfortunate thing is that in whatever era, you know, that this doesn't just speak to those people that Jesus was talking to, but that you can go to any church tradition, any, any kind of de- denominational whatever with, with Christian stuff, and you are going to find people who should be rejoicing in what is happening in the movements of the kingdom of God, but are resisting it and are frustrated with it because it's not exactly the thing that they're on. It's not exactly the way that they see things or the way that they think things ought to happen, or it's, it's not exactly the people that they wanted to reach. It's a little bit different people. It's people on the, outsc- on the outside or the outskirts of what they were hoping to do or whatever. And the, the problem is, is that it's a really, really sad and messed up thing when people who God would want to use to reach people who are hurting or struggling or having a hard time are not down with what he's up to because we don't care about those people. We care about other people. And that's, what's really going on here is that there are folks who just, when it comes down to it, they don't care about the people that God's heart is, is open towards and warm towards. And so they just are missing it. They're face. They're literally face to face with the savior of the world. And they're like, nah, he cares about people we don't care about, so we're out. And that's what he's—that's what Jesus is frustrated with here. Um, it happened to him throughout his entire ministry, and it continues to happen, unfortunately, in the kingdom of God today. That people who are supposedly on this Jesus thing are um, 
continue to push out and uh, reject and miss on the people that God's heart cares about. And so I think our answer to that is to, you know, let them be on whatever they're on, but to ask ourselves the question, who does God care about? Who is um, being mistreated? Who is being overlooked? And how can I care for them? Because that is going to be where the heart of Jesus is. And regardless of what any of the religious people who are missing it, that's where I want to be active. A wonderful place to start that off. And Jed, where do we close this one out? That's great stuff, man. This is a very pedestrian meaning, but I, I do think it's worth looking at. Most of the good stuff in life requires you to say yes. Like people don't, they don't force good things on you and God doesn't force the good things on you. And all of us very much be included. All of us have an overtired, cranky part of ourselves that wants to say no to things um, and wants to be at home and sit on the couch and um, do nothing. And I, I'm not judging that. I think one of the interesting things about self-knowledge is that it's not – it shouldn't be about judging yourself and it shouldn't be about condemning yourself. It's more about being aware of your own tendencies because the more that you know your your tendencies, the more you can decide – how you want to respond to those. And again, for pretty much all of us, and definitely for me, that that inner cranky curmudgeon wants to say no to everything. And the good stuff requires you to say yes. And the good stuff usually requires you to, in some way, leave your comfort zone. Um, because it's it's very rarely, like, the easy thing. Like, I mean, let's actually... Take a look at this story for a second from, you know, semi-literal point of view. I don't know if you've ever been to a banquet before, but on the one hand, banquets are super fun. There's great food and there's often music and it can be very theatrical with the way that everything's presented. It's also a lot of work. Like you're supposed to get dressed up and you're supposed to um, comb your hair and you're supposed to, you know, um, you know, not wear your muck boots. And, um, you know, like b b before long, man, this has really gotten involved and it makes sense in, in a sense. And we can, you know, we'll set aside for the moment, the spiritual ramifications, but just in life, it can make sense to be like, yeah, that sounds really cool, but it also sounds like some work. And I don't, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm tired. I don't, I don't really feel like that. And again, we don't have to judge ourselves on that, but, but it is worth being aware that we have that tendency, right? And so there's this great quote from Chesterton where he says, an inconvenience is an adventure wrongly considered, and an adventure is an inconvenience rightly considered. The good stuff in life involves inconvenience, and it involves usually getting out of your comfort zone, and it involves... um not being on your couch, and it involves all the things that your inner curmudgeon doesn't want to do. And I think it's worth noting, um, I'll tell you that I certainly believe the following. I, I hope you believe it too, because I think it's a good belief to have. I think God wants to bring all kinds of really, really cool stuff into your life. And I think that, that God is inviting you and me to banquets every day. 
Like, I really, really, truly do believe that. But he's also not going to force you to do it. If if you're like, nah, man, I just, I'm not feeling that. He will he will accept the RSVP of no from you, which is yeah. one of the things that does come up in this story. Um, and I don't think that we have to think of it as this big vindictive thing or whatnot. It's just somebody invited you to do something cool and you said no. Um, and it is true in life that we, we can't say yes to every possible good thing that comes along. Um, you know, uh, there there's generally more stuff that you could say yes to than there are hours in the day. But I think it's important to be aware that Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it to the full. That full life is going to involve learning how to say yes to things. And it's going to involve learning how to get off the couch and recognizing that you have an inner curmudgeon is going to be super, super helpful in building out the skills to get off the couch and say yes to the good things in your life, whatever those good things are for you, right? Like one, one man's banquet is another man's torture. So it's not, it's not like we all have to say yes to the same things, but there's stuff that you would be glad that you did if you said yes and you went and you did it. One more thing. One of the other, and this is pretty pedestrian, but it, it, it is one of the takeaways is that some opportunities in life will wait for you and some won't. Right. Mm. So like, um, there, there are things where if your buddy says, man, we haven't caught up in a while and we should totally catch up. And how's, how's this coming weekend for you? Like if you say no to that, or you say like, I can't do this weekend, maybe in, in a few weeks, like your, your buddy will probably still hold your slot. If you, get offered a job and you say no to it, they're not holding that for you. That's right. They're going to turn around. They're going to offer that job to somebody else. And being aware that some opportunities in life, um, won't be held for you. And therefore you really should think carefully about whether you want to say yes or no to this. Um, I think that that's good stuff to have in your decision-making process. Um, None of this needs to boil down to a fear thing. None of it needs to boil down to a judgment thing or, or a vindictive, uh, vindictive thing. But I want you to have a really awesome life. I actually really believe that God wants you to have an awesome life. The more that you learn how to say yes to things in a way that works for you, the more awesome of a life you will have. And I think that that is one of the key takeaways from this story. Absolutely agreed. Wonderful stuff from both of these guys. We're going to leave it there. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com slash ask. We want to keep that entirely anonymous. I got a song this week on the theme of answering that call. This is our friend Southern Harmonic with a version of a song called Come You Who Are Thirsty. Got that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Come.